And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. On today's episode of The Glue Guys, we are joined by Alex Schiffer from The Athletic to talk about off-season Nets awards, including the Most Underrated Move Award, the Best Move Overall Award, and the Jorts Award. We'll explain much more coming up. Guys, this is Mike here. Say hello, Alex. Alex, how are you? I feel like my greeting is just gonna be so much <laughs> downgraded from what the usual listeners expect of Brian's beautiful hello. Yes, yes, so, it, hello. Everyone is thoroughly disappointed that you're on the show. No, it's a joke. Yeah. Alex, Alex Schiffer from The Athletic, of course, the ultimate friend of the show. Now that Spencer doing, I'm not in. the ultimate friend of the show. The I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like your like backup friend of the yeah, show. You're the backup. But that's a good that's a good place to be. I mean, to be Brian Egan's backup is high esteem at this point. I mean, the the man is a multimedia mogul and founding member of what used to be the Albany Batroons podcast, but now it's the Glue Guys. Alex, um, I'm really happy to have you here because you know we thought that the Nets off season was over about a month ago, and it just continues to roll on and on. And I, I feel like finally, maybe now the team is settled. I think is that safe to say that the yeah, team remember is when settled? Sean remember when Sean Marks said at summer league that the roster was like ninety percent complete. Narrator, right. it, it really wasn't. Yeah, it, it and it just keeps on rolling. And like I don't know what else. I think I think though it's still it's, a two way spot open too. It's not it's not done. It's not fully done. But I think at this moment we can almost pretty much safely do an off season awards special episode for everyone a good way to recap the nets off season but before we jump into that this podcast is brought to you by direct tv stream get your tv together with the best of live and on demand learn more at directtv.com alex tell people what you've been up to lately because you've been writing a lot there's been a lot of good stories you have you have a story about a, the nets new assistant coach give people some plugs so that they can read some of your art some of your work yeah, I uh, so I, I went into the beginning of September thinking the story on David Vanderpool, the Nets' new assistant coach, was going to be the only story I did last week. And then uh, Thursday, the Paul Millsap deal happened. And then Friday, the DeAndre Jordan trade and the Marcus Aldridge re-signing happened. And so I have three stories on The Athletic from all of that. David Vanderpool, Paul Millsap, and the Marcus Aldridge slash bye-bye DJ. And then uh, for tomorrow, Wednesday, I uh, I will have another story kind of on how the, the roster is just completely changed from a lot of that stuff and kind of taking stock of what's there and what's not. Before we get into the awards themselves, 
I don't think Brian and I even talked about the DeAndre Jordan move. Like we had hinted when we did a pod after Paul Millsap signed. And when Paul Millsap signed while we were doing the pod, it was coming out that LaMarcus Aldridge was going to sign. Um, or that he was healthy. That he was healthy and that he was thinking about the Nets. But we didn't. We talked about DeAndre Jordan as like, he's probably gone. Like you don't do those moves. Or you don't talk about those moves unless if he's gone. And then obviously the trade happened. What's your what's your take about that trade? I mean, the, the, you know, people are getting very pumped up about Sequoy Dumboya. Um, they're getting very excited. But w- what's your take overall? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a little surprised it happened via trade, just because you know I I've been hearing back you know since the deadline and and mainly around draft night about potential DeAndre Jordan trades. It's funny there was one I had heard. I remember the morning of the draft about like him going to the Pistons and Mason Plumlee coming back to the Nets, and then Mason Plumlee was traded to uh, Charlotte. And I was like, well, that one had a short shelf life. But there, there was a ton of them like that. Um, you know, I, I, so I was supr- a little bit surprised that he was traded just because it seemed like the market for him to get traded just wasn't there forever. And then then they pulled this off. Um, you know, to me, he's got a weird legacy with the Nets, right? Like, they don't get the, the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving without him. He's part of the clean sweep. Um, and I mean, he had with every Rocky career with the Nets. I mean, Jared Allen was already there, which was kind of problematic. And at times he played more than Jared Allen. At times he didn't. Not starting was something that bothered him and played a key role in Kenny Atkinson departing the organization. And then James Harden coming to Brooklyn, I think, also played a key role in, in DeAndre's departure. A lot of departures here. Um, but I, I think James Harden kind of saw that that this wasn't going to cut it. And, and I don't think, I think in an alternate reality, if James Harden is traded to Philadelphia, DeAndre Jordan is probably still on that. Um, just, uh, yeah, just based Why do you on say how that? that. I, I think, you know, you, you saw some of the, um, you saw some of the, the encore conversations and everything and, and how, when he got there and some of the comments about his, his, how direct and go- Harden seemed to be on the court. Like, yeah. So Brian and I talked about this like as it was happening in the moment, and we talked about it seemingly almost like every week of the idea of DeAndre Jordan was that like he was this super friend with KD and Kyrie, and then a new – it's like if you're out with your friends and then a friend from another friend group kind of comes into the picture and throws off the conversation or pulls away the people that you thought were your friends. It was like DeAndre was like getting left behind. By the other, and now this is just like a that's just like viewership type thing. That's not like actual in person, but it seemed yeah. that way. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And I think you know I think Steve Nash also kind of was was of that mind, and you know you also just look at. I'm trying to think how I want to word this. I, I think the nature You're of the say season something maybe. Mean. No, I I just think the nature <laughs> of the season also played a role in it though, right? I mean, like they were very shorthanded. Yes. Um, at times, Durant and Kyrie were out of the lineup a lot, and, and it was hard in running the show. And um, and I think, you know, the, the one thing the Nets got last year that they maybe not have been expecting just because of the way the season went, but they got an extensive look at just about everybody on the roster, right? Yeah, like everybody did, got, yeah. So, so I just think that, you know, you see where they fell short and you see, you know, how they wind up in that Milwaukee miniseries in May with DeAndre guarding Giannis and, and – how that obviously didn't really work out, even though he, he did all he could. And um, I, I just think that it, it became abundantly clear, especially when he wasn't playing in the playoffs and rebounding was one of the things doing them in that, that whatever he brought to the table wasn't enough in their eyes anymore. And that's why, you know, again, he, he had a weird legacy and 
him getting, you know, it's, it's, I mean, four second round picks and everything it took, you know, them sending money and whatnot. But again, like, I, I think it's definitely addition by subtraction. And, I, and look, I have nothing against DeAndre. He loved to mess with me. I loved covering him. You know, he, when we had open locker rooms, he, um, he loved to bust my chops and I, I welcomed it. But, um, again, it's kind of where this shakes out, right? Yeah. I mean, the thing about DeAndre Jordan, like, if we really trace it back with him with the Nets, beyond the clean sweep moment and it feeling like this is like a big obviously it's a massive moment for the Nets history that the fact that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving came and the, at the time even though DeAndre Jordan had like a really weird Dallas Knicks season he was still thought of as like oh like in the way that Blake coming from Detroit to Brooklyn like suddenly remembered how to dunk it felt like that maybe DeAndre would come to Brooklyn and remember that he was like uh, you know, one of the top defensive centers in the NBA. Like, that was a possibility. And him versus Jared Allen was actually a real conversation in that first year together where eventually Kenny Atkinson does let go, does get let go. But um, last year, it became obvious that uh, Nash did not prioritize whatever DeAndre Jordan could still bring to a basketball court. It wasn't what Steve Nash wanted for his roster. And if you look at how the other signings the Nets have made, which we're going to get to in this episode, like, I love Paul Millsap, Marcus Aldridge, both both great. But, like, they aren't traditional centers, and even in the sense that DeAndre technically was. Mm-hmm. They just don't – they don't seem to have any interest in in a traditional center. And that's all DeAndre Jordan really is at this point. Um, it, I, it is – I said this on – Twitter, uh, the great place of all thought, which is, um, it is both shocking and completely, completely normal that he got traded. Like, it's kind of shocking if you think about how wedded he was to the team's best two players and then add in James Harden. Um, but it's also like he, he had to go like, like for probably cause he probably also wanted to leave cause he was going to stare at a whole season where the only thing that he would contribute seemingly is like a fun pregame celebration. And then he wouldn't really play that much. And he's, I'm sure he wants to play basketball. I I agree with all that. I mean, also you just look at their cap situation. Like to me, at the end of the day, given everything they have riding on this, like you just can't pay a guy $10 million to collect DNPs at the end of the bench. You know what I mean? Like, like there's gotta be a better place for that money given, given their constraints with, you know, it's the vet minimum or the taxpayer's exception, essentially, with a lot of this. Um, if you don't have a, the bird rights of a guy. Um, or, or Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I agree with everything you said about how at the beginning it was definitely a conversation. No, two, two final thoughts on that. You know, go before the season stopped and the world changed, essentially, March 2020, DeAndre Jordan was getting the lion's share of minutes over Jared Allen. I did a story on it at the time, but... DeAndre Jordan was playing in crunch time in close games more than Jared Allen, um, especially in the fourth quarter. I think where the conversation had definitely switched was the NBA bubble happens. The DeAndre Jordan test positive and can't go. Um, Jared Allen is essentially the Nets lone big down there outside of Dante Hall, who's the name I almost forgot a second ago. And I thought Jared Allen was really the unsung hero of the bubble. I mean, he never got in foul trouble. He had a lot of double doubles. He held his own very well. He like increased his assist. He was like given the opportunity to kind of handle the ball or at least operate in an offense. 
Yeah, I forget. I I want to say it was like four or five and a half assists a game. Yeah, he averaged just in the bubble. Like, yeah, yeah, his his numbers went up big. And and I just think at that point you're watching it, and it's like, all right, he's a young player. He is the he he's a huge piece of the bubble roster because essentially him, Karras, and Joe Harris. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. And then Justin Anderson and all these randos with Garrett Temple. And I just think that he answered the call so well. And as you said, like the passing element he added, and then he was just so effective and reliable to wear. Like it, I went into, I, I like you when I joined the beat at the beginning of the 2019, 20 season, I went into it thinking it was a, it was a conversation as to who Deandre versus Jared. And I went into this past season thinking like it, it's Jared head over heels. Yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty dramatic Deandre Jordan's fall, but like, what is he? Did he officially sign with the Lakers? Um, I don't think it's official yet. No, I mean I'm. At, I haven't seen the Lakers announce anything. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm interested to see if any team is able to get anything out of DeAndre substantial more than like good locker room vibes guy, you know, professional presence that type of thing, right? And like you know, that's fine. There's no. This isn't like to bury the shovel on DeAndre Jordan. It's just. <laughs> It became obvious the Nets in the Bucks series were looking for professional NBA players to put on the floor, and they didn't put DeAndre Jordan on the floor. They and obviously totally different position, but Mike James was getting big minutes because they didn't needed a ball handler, but they could have used uh, a ten and ten center too, and they just didn't. He Steve Nash never obviously never went to him. Uh, he didn't play what in the last sixteen games counting the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. Um, Four regular season and all playoff games. So, so it 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 was a necessary move. I don't know if you have any ideas of you know the Nets did get back two players from the Pistons. People are getting very excited about the the you know the young Frenchman that they got, but uh, I, I this was just a money move. This was let's get yes. out of here. Yes, exactly. Big on the tax savings. You know, I'd be surprised if Julie Loco for sticks around, especially with we talked about roster construction of you know, Steve Nash trying to go positionless. Ja is more of that traditional center who, even though he's the number one pick, he would have been the number one pick and very effective maybe 20 years ago in the back to the basket era more so than than right now. Um, so I, I don't really have much of an added thought on either of those guys. We'll see who sticks around and who doesn't. But I'm I'm. I would be surprised if Julie Lokofer is, is on the Nets opening day roster just based on fit. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Coming back, Nets offseason awards. A very exciting show. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And we're back, Alex. Alex Schiffer from The Athletic. You can read Alex at The Athletic. Uh, there's so much good writing happening right now, not only about the Nets from Alex, but of course, um, 
fantasy football. We got to get week one lineups in. Everyone has to figure that out. College football is in full swing. So much good stuff happening at the athletic. Uh, Alex, I want to f- start with our first award of the offseason. It is the Jorts Award. It is the award for the player that the Nets will regret the most. Now, you are younger than me. Um, were Jorts a thing when you were gr- Were jean shorts a th- an element of the fashion lexicon when you were growing up? Or, or had they already been phased out by the time you were in middle and high school? I don't know a single friend of mine or classmate that ever wore jorts. You strike me as the kind of guy that owns some jorts. <laughs> Everyone but, uh, wore jorts. Everyone. Jorts were a staple of 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 fashion, you know, mid-90s. Mid-90s, 2000s, classic, classic look. The carpenter. Do you know what a carpenter pant is? It's the kind that has, like, yeah. the loop yeah. for a for a The hammer. Hammer. Yeah, yeah I had jorts with a loop because I was going to carry around a hammer. At a moment's notice. Um, All right, Thor. Yeah, exactly. So, um, George. So, so that's why it's the movie of most regret because I don't want to be seen in George these days. And if I look at a picture of myself wearing a hefty pair of George, I'd be embarrassed. Who? What is your thing that you think the Nets will regret the most about their off season? They could obviously change this with the trade exceptions, which we'll probably get to later in the show. But to me, I, I just thought. A wing defender was the thing they probably needed the most at the top of their wish list. And, um, you know, I don't know how many. Um, first of all, I wouldn't necessarily classify James Johnson as that. I mean, he, he could be that maybe. But, you know, I remember when they signed James Johnson, I, I loved Google, uh, like YouTube. Like James Johnson, I think first thing comes up is like best NBA fights or whatever. So like he strikes me as like a hockey enforcer type. And, and he could be that guy. But, you know, like I, I was beating this drum a while. I was a huge fan of David Nwaba when he played for this, but like that type of guy where built like a football player, you know, could guard on the perimeter. Maybe if you switch onto a guy that that's more of a big can hold his own. And, um, you know, they haven't really had a guy like that in a while. So to me, that was the biggest need quote unquote on the roster. And I don't really know if they address it again. Javon Carter can defend Bruce Brown can defend Kevin Durant can defend, obviously, um, Paul Millsap's known for defense, but, you know, he's 36, and I don't know if he's the guy you can rely on in a playoff series to take a team's best player out of the equation or, or even just be be a reduced version of themselves. Um, so the, there are options on the roster to prove me wrong, but to me there's just, you know, a, a, there's not a no-brainer wing defender like that on the roster right now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's the that is sort of like the big glaring week. There's another one which I'll and I'll throw mine in here. Not getting a true center, you know, like Lamarcus Aldridge is the size of a center, but he he's not a rim protector. He's not like we even saw him in the very few games that he was with the Nets. He's not super mobile at this point. He's not a switchable defender in that sense. Um, and so there's like two holes. This is an extremely deep team. But if there are two holes, it's not having a real plus wing defender who can actually be on the floor. Like you bring up James Johnson, I don't like. I love James Johnson. I you know I love the attitude, but I don't think you can play him a whole bunch of minutes. And if he's in your closing lineups, it's got to be for defensive only, and you got to take him off the floor on offense. Like he he won't do anything for you spacing wise or really anything. Uh, Bembry is the same kind of way. Like Bembry's an interesting guy to have on your bench, but he's not a starter, and that's why those guys were gettable that the Nets were able to get them for minimum deals uh, because they're not highly valued. If they were great on defense and then could shoot threes, they'd be getting $15 million a year. Uh, and the Nets don't have the resources to do that at this point in terms of cap space. 
But yeah, I mean, I think it, that's there's weaknesses there. Not having a wing defender, and I would say not getting a true center. I know the Nets don't seem they have Dayron Sharp. Nick Claxton is more classified as like he's obviously tall enough to be a center, but he was more of like a point forward at Georgia. Yeah, you know, and like he's the Nets have shifted him further, further into Clint Capella territory and Clint Capella, the classic archetype. And obviously with Harden, Harden developing Capella and Houston together. And then Harden, you will even saw the way kind of Harden and Claxton were working on chemistry last season. They've worked out this summer too. So like Claxton can be a center, but he's still, it's not his natural state of being to be the biggest man on the floor and to act that way. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they, they have options, but they don't have, like, the guys I, you know, Boban. I, yeah, everyone makes fun of me. I love Boban. Uh, I, you know, I would have loved him on this team. Robin Lopez is, like, to me, the the guy that you, you just want a Zaza Pachulia type. Just a, a big, nasty big man who has sharp elbows and steps on people's feet all the time. That's exactly what you want. And they don't have someone really like that. Um, so that's my George Award. Next one coming up is the best move. Just just the single best thing that the Nets did all offseason. I think it's obvious, but I'll, because you're our guest, I'll let you go first. I, I mean, I, I we, we have a cheat sheet we're working off of here for those of you that don't know. Uh, I mean, both of us had Patty Mills signing with the Nets. To me, I, I think a couple of things. Um, I think he is the kind of guy they really needed in the playoffs against Milwaukee where the bench was very unreliable. They were down. You know, they had a reduced version of James Harden. Joe Harris wasn't playing well. Blake Griffin stepped up, but still they needed more than that. And just a reliable scorer off the bench that's played in big games and, and wasn't too big for the moment. Like, I, I think he just kind of fits that to a T. And and then you even look like, you know, the, the Nets being Spurs East. I mean, he kind of fits perfectly in with the organization, the culture, and everything that Sean Marks has built. And... uh and from that perspective, it's kind of a seamless fit, too. So, I mean, I, I just think that seeing what cost them against Milwaukee, especially just the, the depth catching up with them, I think that he was kind of the perfect fit for that. Yeah, I mean, he's like there. there's no question in my mind that he can be out there in the last three minutes of a playoff game in NBA finals. He's the classic playoff guard, a guy who doesn't need the ball, but when he gets it, he can make a little move where he can shoot a three like he he fits it. He's done it before. He's won a championship before. Now it, now the one bit of caution, if you remove the Olympics, is that he had like the Spurs haven't been good, like really good for a while, right? So it's almost like you're you're signing up someone for uh, from for a new TV show when the last good TV show they were on was like a decade ago, right? Like it was. It's been a while since Patty Mills like really mattered, but. You know, I, I I did watch the Olympics. Patty Mills was the best player on on the first medal winning team of Australia's history. Um, it, he's just a baller. Like he's just like a big game player. His the way he's able to get onto the floor and the spots he's able to hit are the places that will be open for the Nets if they have healthy players. Uh, he doesn't help with defense, but he helps also. And I, I don't know if you said this, but you've mentioned this before. He's like the he's great Kyrie James Harden insurance, right? Like yes. If, if there are a couple of weeks where Kyrie's not playing, Patty Mills is moves into the starting lineup, and you know they're flying. They're they're doing great. So he's like a great buffer for all that. Um, next one up, most underrated move. 
So the sneaky, important move. Um, I'll start first. I have Blake Griffin coming back. I just think we all kind of thought it was going to happen, so we didn't really give it much recognition. I think it's a, I mean, it's a fairly big deal. The, the Blake Griffin, he was bad in Detroit. They shut him down. He comes here. He starts dunking again. And he was the Nets, what? Like, by the end, he was the Nets' second best player in the playoffs by when we really get down to it because Harden was diminished and Joe Harris was missing everything. And then it was Kevin Durant and it was like Blake Griffin. Um, and so there's, it's sort of a uh, double-edged sword where like, I think because there was like a mission last year and it was a condensed mission, it was maybe easier for Blake to sort of have these peak performances where now he's staring at a full season plus hopefully a long full playoff run. So maybe we're not going to get this peak Blake all the time. The Nets aren't, but I still think like he's so he he can still do a lot for you on the court. He's so smart. He's a pest. He likes to take charges, uh, yell at refs. He's like he does like fun, annoying stuff. Um, I I think it was I it, you know we thought he was going to come back, but the fact that he is on this team still is like it's like a, a nice luxury to have that Blake Griffin's just a guy that you can call on whenever you need him. Yeah, I I agree with you. I went with Bruce Brown just because I, I feel like his role in the offense is so unique as this short roller who, you know, Seth Partnow and I did a story, I want to say in June, about how, you know, he was as effective of a roller as Jared Allen and some of these other bigs around the NBA. And he kind of, you know, that – was born as of a product of a byproduct of James Harden coming to the Nets. I mean, he didn't really screen at all before that trade. And now he, he was this undersized center kicking butt with the floater. Um, I just think he was a harder player to replace. And you look at the Nets additions. Like I think Paul Mills after LaMarcus Aldridge also kind of fit a similar role to Blake in that. All right. Star player kind of on the second half of their career you know, has more of a niche role, but I, I agree that Blake Griffin did a lot of dirty work and he did defend and, and, you know, the charges were contagious. He wasn't the only one taking them. You know, a lot of other guys started hitting the floor once he did. Uh, and once he came to town in Brooklyn, but, um, you know, I know people talked about Javon Carter as potentially being, um, being like a Bruce Brown insurance policy, you know, because his role is so unique and you talk to the people around the league about it, like, yeah, maybe Javon Carter could have like been a replacement for Bruce Brown, the short role, had he looked elsewhere, but like, I would need to see it first and make sure it would work just based on, you know, like Bruce Brown's go-to shot. It seems like even talking back to Jim Laranega, his, uh, his coach at Miami was, has always been the floater, you know, is that as effective for Javon Carter in that role, especially given you're going against bigger guys than um, as it would, as it is for Bruce. I don't know. So um, I, uh, I went with him because you took Blake and uh, and I just think that he had a more unique role than Blake in that sense. And be, and that's – had he tested the waters and gotten a better offer elsewhere, I just think it would have been harder to find a guy that could do what he did. And also, again, you know, the, the playmaking component of him being a point guard in that short role and, you know, the ability to pass out of it and find someone else. Again, would that have worked with someone else as well? You know, again, Javon Carter is another point guard, so maybe. But outside of him, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean – it's it's going to be a good thing for Bruce Brown that they can rely on him less this year because they do have m many more playable bigs than they did last year. Once they traded Jared Allen, it was really like DeAndre Jordan, Nick Claxton, and waiting for Blake Griffin to come onto this team. Um, and 
it, you know, Bruce Brown doesn't really have to be point center anymore. He can be more of a traditional guard, but still screening and filling in the role that he did. Um, it's exciting. The So the next award up is, and I hope I pronounced this correct, but the Ravensburger Award. Ravensburger is a company that makes puzzles because um, I Googled puzzle companies. This one was the funniest name. Um, what's the most puzzling Nets move? I see you don't have one. Do you want me to just launch into mine? Yeah, that that that's wise. Okay, so I don't, I'm not really... There's nothing that was ultra puzzling. Now, some people in our Twitter feed may be yelling about, why didn't they re-sign Spencer Dinwiddie? You know, they could have just given him money and then they could have a super team. You know, like I... It was never realistic how much money... Dinwiddie would have, he had actually ended up costing, we know how much he cost. Yeah, he wasn't coming back. Plus luxury tax. And then maybe plus like, like I'm, I'm sure he's excited to be a starting point guard and not be like a 20 minute per game guy. My most puzzling Nets move, like what was going on with Mike D'Antoni? Like he, he was a, a highly valued assistant on the Nets bench. Every NBA broadcast would mention, oh, look, there's Mike D'Antoni. He's like the secret wizard behind Steve Nash. He leaves Brooklyn. He interviews for a bunch of head coaching jobs. He leaves the Nets saying whatever was the reason. And now he's an advisor for the New Orleans Pelicans. It's like he could have had that role with Brooklyn. I don't know if you have any insight into this, but like, why did Mike D'Antoni leave Brooklyn? I don't have a, a hard answer on that. It, it seemed like he wanted more, from what I understand, he wanted more flexibility uh, to look for his next head coaching job. Um, and that he, you know, Assistants have to prepare scouting reports for teams and everything, and it seems like you know he, he's barely been assistant outside of that stint he had with the Sam Hinkie process Sixers. Uh, excuse me, actually, I think Jerry Colangelo had taken over by that point when he had come back to help them. But um, you know, obviously him being in the head chair, he's had different set of responsibilities. So I think that that kind of stuff factored into it. But as you kind of said, I think the unknown for this is is was there a world in which the Nets could have kept him on as a special advisor and not um, and retained him in that capacity instead of him going to New Orleans for that. That part, I don't know. So um, I, I agree with you, though, because I don't really think there's a better second. I mean, you know, Imudoka got a head coaching job at the Celtics. Makes total sense for him to leave. Um, the, the two guys they hired seems to be, seem to be, you know, two of the league's better assistant coaches. Um, you know, the, the guys that left, you know, I, I like Jeff Green, another friend of the show. Friend of the um, show. But he got the raise he deserves. Um I can't really think of another, you know, Alizé Johnson, I think was a nice young guy to have off the bench, but again, I understand him wanting to look for a better situation. So I, I can't really think of one to where, um, to, to where it, it rivals, you know, Mike D'Antoni's departure. Yeah. I mean, my thing is like, we made a big deal that he was an assistant coach on this team. Like, Oh, look at like, he's one of the most innovative offensive coaches in NBA history. And everyone was very excited that he was a Steve Nash assistant. I think we should make a little bit of a deal that he's not on this team, right? And I imagine, I mean, Nash himself is one of the smartest offensive players in NBA history. And I imagine he really doesn't need necessarily Mike D'Antoni there as well. But I don't know. We should make somewhat of a deal that this guy has left along with Udoka, who is is often boss like that's a brain trust that's leaving the organization they're getting new ideas and new talent in too like you said but you know it's just there, there really isn't that much puzzling i think marks i mean ultimately marks had an incredible offseason he he went in having no money and was able to pull in 
like the 2013 All-Star team, right? So it's and then plus a five rookie class or however many it's going to actually end up being. Speaking of which, Alex, the favorite rookie award, the rookie that you like the best or you think will contribute the most. You have an interesting answer. What's your answer? Uh, I really went out on a limb here. I hope I don't fall <laughs> off the tree, but uh, I believe it's Mr. Cam Thomas from uh, from LSU. Yeah, I think so, right? I mean, I, you could try to make the Dayron Sharp, like, uh, you can, like, really try to shoehorn that in and be funny and interesting. Like, oh, he's going to, you know, he's going to play big minutes at center by the end of the season. Cam Thomas was the best or one of the best players in the Vegas Summer League. Um, Co-MVP. What do you... What it's Brian and I did this whole thing of like a sliding scale of what Cam Thomas's role will be. What do you think his role is going to be? Yeah, you know, if you were to ask me a week ago today before all the madness went down, like, and give me an over under of games he plays in Long Island, um, I don't know what my number would have been last week, but all I know is it's higher now than it was then just because of all the guys they have. Um, I think he'll be a scorer off the bench, but how much of one, you know, like. I don't even know if I'd feel comfortable guessing he averages 12 points a game just because you look at their reserve unit of Patty Mills. Um, I would still start Joe Harris personally, um, but I don't know what you do with that final spot. I would have said Blake Griffin was starting. Now is it LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake's off the bench? What about Paul Millsap? You know, Shams reported with that Paul Millsap deal that he's going to have an opportunity to start. So who gets, what does that starting five look like? But that reserve unit is so, um, so loaded I just kind of wonder how many shots there are for him. And look, I mean, I, I think the you two things. I mean, you look at the opportunity that these guys are going to have. I mean, you mentioned the 2013 All-Star team. Like, Cam Thompson and Dayron Sharp are going to get an unbelievable education, NBA scoring. And you look at – you talked about how Dayron, uh, LaMarcus isn't a traditional center. Dayron is more of one. But Sean Marks said on draft night he wants to try to make Dayron a floor spacer. I mean, who better to learn from than a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge? So, I – uh I think having them around the the NBA team this year would be very beneficial for them. But I I don't I don't know. I feel like if Cam Thomas gets twenty minutes a game, it's a it's a good rookie year for him. Yeah, I mean that'd be that'd be incredible. Like yeah, it, my it's just hard for me to think about as much as I enjoy the summer league run, how he's going to fit in between Kyrie Harden and Durant. I feel like his best ceiling is or his ideal situation is. He's a reliable enough scorer to wear on nights because they're obviously going to stagger some of these guys and do load management, even with Millsap, LaMarcus, and Blake, I'm sure, over the course of a full season that you could put some combination of them out there with Cam and it's enough to beat like Detroit or the Magic, right? Like that's right. what I would think would be his ceiling is that he's an, he's a good enough for them to get them 25, 26 against a tanking team on a night where they're trying to rest one or two of those big guns. Yeah, it's... It- I'm going to be fascinated to see because like, it's obvious to me. I mean, I know he's just 19 or whatever. So like, there's so much room for growth, but up until now it's having watched him at LSU and watched him in the summer league, you know, like Cam Thomas plays a specific brand of basketball that involves him shooting. (laughs) And that's, that's his brand of basketball. Like I, he he embodies, give me the ball and get out of the way. Please give me the ball. And if, if I can't shoot, I'm going to shoot it. And then if I really can shoot, I'm just going to throw the ball up in the air and hope some one of my teammates grabs it. Like that's how he plays. And I it's but also, he has this insane talent and this insane what you know, in his bag, he has all these tools 
where like he also should be able to be a spot up shooter off of the bench units with James Harden, right? Like he should be getting open looks from three just by playing with James Harden at times. And like he, I don't know if he ever took like um, an open set three point shot at LSU. And I know he didn't in summer league because I didn't see it. I want to see it because if he can just stand, catch a ball and shoot a three, and I think he will make it knowing how good of a free throw shooter he is and how good of a shooter he is off platform. Like he could be an amazing addition, but if he does like the Cam Thomas show all the time, it will be just like, a, like a, it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting uh, deal. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. The next award, the Queen's Gambit Award. This is one Sean Marks is playing chess and other people are playing checkers. Queen's Gambit is a great TV show about chess. A late recommendation for everyone. Uh, predicting the next major Nets move. Um, now I'll start with mine because I, I know you kind of agree with me. If we're talking major, it means I think it's a Joe Harris trade. I'm not saying it will happen, but the one guy on this team that makes a good amount of money that the Nets could trade and other teams would actually want is Joe Harris. We can go through what happened in the playoffs. We could discuss that. Um, Obviously, Joe Harris still, and going into next season, will be one of the best shooters in the NBA. I think he will produce at that level. Um, but Joe is making like $18 million a year. It's a lot of money. It's pretty easy for the Nets to go, let's use that Joe Harris $18 million a year, trade him for what would be filling your biggest regret, your Jorts Award, turn him into a strong, switchable defender guy, who can shoot some, so we can be out there in closing lineups, but is really there for defense. And then if they were desperate for just a pure shooter, friend of the show, J.J. Redick, actually not friend of the show, we're enemies, uh, J.J. Redick, they can sign him because J.J. just seems like he's basically going to wait for whether the Knicks or Nets really want him the most. Um, he also seems to need surgery, though, on his ankles. I don't know if you've seen that. No, I know. he's He's 
just like he's gonna take heal, make podcasts, and then wait for the playoffs to sign, like you know, wait for that cutoff date, you know, twenty games before the season ends, to uh, to sign with a team for the playoff run. I think he's just like and JJ Redick. I think you could pretty much rely on if he's there, like he's gonna hit forty percent on open threes, and maybe that's really maybe all the Nets need. So I'm just saying, of all the major moves, taking the Joe Harris money. Trading them to a team and bringing back someone, I don't know who it is, that Matt, Robert Covington. It's not going to be Robert Covington because there's no reason why the Portland Trailblazers want Joe Harris, but something like that. Someone Native like Northwesterner, though. What's that? Joe Harris is from Washington, Portland. Be yes. kind of a homecoming. Yeah, um, yeah uh, a couple things there. Um, I keep saying that this show. I really need to stop doing are you, that. Are you going to break some news? Are you going to tell us that a Joe Harris trade is imminent? No, I've I've been. I feel like I've turned into Joe Harris's like defender this offseason because every Nets fan I've gotten in the mailbag like, when are we trading Joe Harris? And uh, Alex, what did Joe Harris trade look like? And um, I just uh, you know he 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 got a big contract. Obviously, he led the league in three point shooting the regular season. He was the Iron Man of a team known for attrition this season. I mean, he played in almost every game except one or two that they rested him, and Steve Nash didn't want to rest. He was the first guy to admit in the playoffs that the Nets might have advanced if he hit some open threes and didn't – didn't. Uh, that would have been a curse word. If he didn't uh, – if he may, if, he, if the ball went in the net, go with a uh, generic term. Sure. Um, and – I mean, it, the bottom line is as bad as he played. If Kevin Durant's shoe was one size smaller, it doesn't matter, right? They go, they go, they beat Milwaukee and they go to the conference finals and likely beat Atlanta too. Um, so, I, I don't think that he deserves the slander he's gotten. Although I get it, um, but yes, that's that is the only other move on the roster that would make sense and, and could net a good player. I also just think with that, you know. They have the two trade exceptions, obviously, the one from the Dinwiddie trade and the one they just created from this DeAndre trade. I think the second one is $6.3 million. You know, but the way Sean Marks has kind of gotten these diamonds in the rough, I feel like that's not even a – that's a less expensive way to upgrade the roster, maybe get like a – a um, some kind of role player to maybe help you fill in some cracks if someone gets hurt or whatever to, to replace them with that kind of money, that kind of caliber player, a mid-level exception type. Um who that would be, I don't know. But do you also do you know if you could combine trade exceptions? If you combine those two, I don't, I don't think, think you can. can. I don't think you can either. I gotta. Check I actually, it. I know you can't. Yeah, you you can only use, and and I don't think, I'm pretty sure like, so one's eleven million, right? The Dinwiddie one. I think it's eleven and a half. So you couldn't like use eleven and a half to take on like an eighteen million dollars salary. Like you can't use even part. Like the player has to fit under that trade exception. It's not yeah. like you can go over or anything like that. So yeah, the, the thing I will say about as exciting as that trade exception is, um, is that this team is still ultra expensive and to add a player just into that Dinwiddie slot is then going to put the team, the luxury tax payment on top of that is going to put it on, you know that's times three it's or whatever. more than just an 11 and a half million dollar acquisition yeah it's like short. a th it's like a 33 or 43 or forget yeah. if it's times four or three but so it's a huge money outlay so i think it only happens is at the trade deadline if there's an obvious candidate from a team who stinks who's like kevin durant 
James Harden, Kyrie Irving knock on Joe Sy's door and they say, this guy that we know we can get is going to win us eight championships in a row. We want this guy. And and it doesn't cost the Nets anything to get that player. Right? Yeah. I think that's the only way it happens because it's just the cost is going to be so exorbitant uh, to bring someone into that that slot. Now, I think that the DeAndre one is like more is a little easier because I think that's that's taxpayer mid-level money. Right. So there's I think there's more players at that cost that you could just flip into that role. That's above the minimum. You could fit right in there. And it could be someone who's more of like um what like Nerland's Noel was last year. Just any kind of like a little bit above minimum type dudes. Exactly. Um, that that could like they could hypothetically use that exception if it, like get a David Nawaba type or as you said, a Nerland's Noel type, like between the cracks kind of guy that get you get your money's worth. And and fits a hole, but not necessarily, you know, it's like replacing a, a round hole with a round peg and not like the fanciest, you know, um, yes, Saks Fifth Avenue round peg, right? Like just great. Gets the job. Great done. analogy. Does need to be excessive. Yeah. Talk about pulling one out of your, uh, you know, but you get the point. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I, I don't I don't see the value, though, in trading Joe Harris. I just don't, especially given when the, when the team's fully healthy, what his role is. And yes, I understand how he's been bad under pressure, but again, he's also had to do more with, with less this past season. I mean, I'll just say it. Um, and also I think with the trade exception of the contract has to expire within that, within that year, if you can't like, I'll, I'll make a joke. Zion Williamson technically fits within the Dinwiddie one, but because his contract continues on into the future, the nets couldn't have him, but there are players like Kyle Anderson, but there's no way the Kyle Anderson will come cheap. Uh, Jeremy Lamb, but I think Jeremy Lamb has some injury. Like you have to look at all the players who are contracts are expiring in this upcut. Like this is the last season of their contract to then fit into that little slot. There's plenty of players who are like that, and it definitely could happen. I just think we all get excited about the possibility of it, but it really takes like it's going to cost Josiah a lot of money. Uh, last one, and this is probably a bigger question and a very important question. Um, the scariest non-Bucks team in the Eastern Conference. So which non-Bucks and Nets Eastern Conference team do you think is the biggest contender? Alex, yeah, so I'll you, start with you. Yeah, you and I, I think, agree on this. Um, I think it's got to be Miami. I want to see what they look like first, but you look at the additions they've made. P.J. Tucker, Kyle Lowry, they already had Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. They, they can both score and defend. They have a championship coach in Eric Spolstra. Um He's had to manage egos and personalities before with the big three in Miami, and and now he's kind of got a similar role with that. Um, my my only exception, I'm, I'm giving myself a caveat here. We don't we. The consensus seems to be that Ben Simmons will no longer be a 76er and will probably never play another minute for them again. The return for him right now was not as high as it would have been a year ago, but what are they able to get, and how does that shift potentially Phillies? Roll with all this. They, I, I don't think as of right now that they're a top three seed. But again, we don't know what that trade is going to look like. So, does that change the um? Does that potentially change their stock for better or worse, depending upon how they do with that trade? Right. I mean, I, I, I could see that, and I understand. I mean, I, I, and then that's where it comes down to like present tense, right? Like, so, like, it's I, I it's as Miami. Today, it's, yes. Yeah, and that's it, what's funny is that I feel like Miami's even being slept on. 
to a bigger degree than I'm like, I'm just surprised because, you know, what's the thing that if you're the Nets, specifically the Nets, like I think the moves that the Heat made were geared more towards the Nets than the Bucks. Because what they did was that the Heat created like the ultra switchable defensive team that is going to give Brooklyn problems in a playoff series where the thing, the like Lowry, Butler, Bam, and PJ Tucker, PJ Tucker, Kevin Durant, round 12 or whatever round this is now, like as much as I can make fun of PJ Tucker, like Durant scores 50 and PJ Tucker scores zero. And, you know, the plus minus effect of that is, is pretty stark. P.J. Tucker is an annoying person to have on the floor if you're a Nets player. Um, and him being on the floor with Lowry, who's one of the best defensive guards, with Butler, who can stand up against anyone, and Bam, you know, one of the most switchable big men in the league. You know, yeah, Duncan Robinson or Hero is going to be out there. It's, I mean, I'm, yeah, you could attack them on every possession. I don't think Duncan Robinson's as bad as, like, as maybe the belief would be. Um so I, I don't know. That's just kind of like a scary Nets-specific team where, like, you talk about, like, Philly just, there's just too much bad, there's just too much bad junk now. And Daryl Morey, if he's anything, like, he's always been able to grab stars, but, like, there's also a, a big element of, like, it's not always the happiest locker rooms, it seems like. Like, Chris Paul wanted to get out of there. Yeah. Russell wanted to get out of there. James Harden, like, and obviously he didn't make the James Harden trade, but the culture that was created, Harden wanted to leave after that fact. So, I, I mean, I just don't, I don't, there's not good vibes. I know Doc Rivers is the opposite, though. Doc Rivers is all good vibes, pretty much. Yeah. And Milwaukee, obviously, I mean, they're, they're the defending champs. You got to pay respect. You know, the East goes through Milwaukee. Their depth, though, to me, took a big hit this year. I mean, PJ Tucker left, Bryn Forbes is back with the Spurs. You know, they, they lost some pretty key contributors off that team that went elsewhere. But, and again, you know, their, their core is still intact, obviously. But um, I just think when you look at the, the the Nets and the Heat, I thought their bench went from, like, solid average to, to good slash great, whereas Milwaukee's either stayed that direction or you can make a case for going the opposite. Right. Um. All right. Well, this was a delight. Is there anything real quick? Is there anything that we didn't hit about the offseason that you think is important? Uh, I mean, we didn't talk about extensions, but you know, we've talked about we can talk about you know that. Of course, that's important that Durant stayed, yeah, right? and that Harden and the Kyrie other two appear to be coming. Yeah. Um, anything else? Nothing I could think of. Good. How are you? I'm so good. I'm looking at my fantasy football roster as we talk because... Oh, I don't want to do uh, that. I waited way too long to take a QB, dude. I'm like riding on Joe Burrow now, I think. Oh, that's 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 good. You'll be fine. Jake Seeley, our, our fantasy football maestro at The Athletic, loves Joe Burrow. It's all volume. But the Saints have released Latavius Murray, which... Uh, he was big for me last year. Gets me excited because I have their new backup, Tony Jones Jr. I'm in like a 16-team league. I know no one cares about fantasy football teams. But that's exciting that Latavius Murray gets cut. That's big news to me. Um, so I'm pumped. All right. Well, we have – when is training camp? Is it like um, – Media day is the 27th, which is 20 days away. And oh then three weeks from today, I will be on a cross-country flight to San Diego to join the Nets out there for training camp. Are, are, are you going to be allowed to in locker rooms? What's happening? They have not 
They have not ruled on that for the NBA. No NHL will have open locker rooms. I do know that it seems like we'll be able to get some decent access in this training camp, though. So there should be some good stuff coming the reader's way before the start of the season. I mean, I just think I know no one cares about like media, like, oh, are they in the locker rooms or not? Like, I know generally people don't care, but um, like people should because you're going to get better stories if you're in the locker room uh, versus if you just have to keep zooming people. Like you're going to, we as consumers of, of sports news are going to get better content if people like you are allowed in the locker rooms or at least are allowed kind of in close proximity to where you can have general conversations as opposed to just doing the two Zoom press conferences a night that it, it turned into. But that that's my take. Anyways, Alex, you can read Alex at The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter. What is it? It's it like uh, Alex? It's like multiple Alex underscores. Schiffer. Yes. Gotta. We gotta figure that out. We gotta get you the pure Alex Schiffer. I'll see if I can make that change soon. I'll. I'll, I'll well, the athletic we should should pay up for that. And, and if you enjoyed having me on this show, please email uh, the glue guys at gmail dot com to let my know that he has me on more. <laughs> That isn't it? <laughs> no, no, because we couldn't. We couldn't get. Speaking of it's uh, BK Blue, it's BK Glue guys it's, at Gmail. It's, right? it's that's why we don't get so many emails. It's netspod at gmail.com. Well, there, there you go, there you go. <laughs> if you want me back, email netspod at gmail.com to let Mike know. Because only when Brian's on vacation do I get a call. All right, well, Alex, thank you so I'm, much. I'm for... like the neighbor you don't bother with until like you're making like a souffle and you need an extra pot and you're like knock on my door like, oh, can we have your pot for a little bit? Yeah, because yeah, I'm making souffles weekly over here, so yeah. I, I never have that issue. All right, yeah. Alex, I appreciate you. Have a great rest of your non-summer because it's not summer anymore. So shout mm-hmm. out. You too. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.